Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at the sport of volleyball in six rotations, proudly sponsored this week by the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union, where by just listening to this show, you are now eligible to become a member. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. This week on Volleyball State, we got our first bite of professional volleyball in Nebraska. We'll talk a little bit about how we thought it tasted. Plus, even though it's the Husker Volleyball offseason, that does not mean that nothing's going on. Since we all last talked, there's been a few roster comings and goings in Lincoln. We'll go over them as well as some volleyball economics. But first, thank you so much for following the show. You're subscribing. You are rating us and you're following us on social media, judging by the comments. Thanks for following us on Twitter at Volleyball Pod. You can always find us there. You can also email the show your thoughts, questions. We're going to get around to doing a mailbag segment one of these times. Like we're the only podcast in history, I think, that hasn't done a mailbag segment yet. <laughs> you can email us your questions at volleyballstate at gmail.com. You will get a, a quick reply, or at least we will we will see the email very quickly. Plus, you can find this show and all of our past shows wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts. I know, Lincoln, I just saw that Google Podcast is going away in oh. 2024, but they're transitioning everything over to YouTube. So, you know, that's uh, that's going to jive really well with an announcement that we're going to have coming up a little bit later on in the show. But wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us right there. You can also find us online at volleyballstate.com. If that's not enough, you can find us individually on social media. I am at by Jeff Sheldon. That's B-Y-J-E-F-F-S-H-E-L-D-O-N. And Lincoln, you are also plastered all over the internet. Right? Yes. Yeah. I, so much to my chagrin, I am. But you can find me on Twitter at Lincoln <laughs> underscore VB. Uh, if you do threads, I'm Lincoln A underscore VB. Uh, do that. I even, I even uh, opened up a uh, brand new Substack account where you can read. I'll probably post some Supernova articles on there. Um, but you can find the rest of my articles about Nebraska volleyball at huskersillustrated.com. Uh, and other stuff's coming out. I'll talk about a little bit later about another article I'm working on, but I, I am all over there. Man, you're everywhere. We, we need to send around your, your TikTok, uh, your ICQ. Ooh. What's your AOL instant messenger handle if people want to get a hold of you on that? Only the old heads will really know what we're talking about with those. Link doggo. Were you like? There you go. Is that what it was? I I had another buddy <laughs> named Lincoln who was like Lincolnator. Like, yeah, teens are so. We were so dumb as teens. We had like the worst uh, names, but you know, we were the first generation, I guess, to screw up online, and now we can pass that on to future generations. I'll but hey, uh, take us through. Take us. Take us through the rotations, Link Dog. What are yes. we talking about this week? <laughs> we have uh, rotation one. We will talk about the Omaha Supernovas opened up the Pro Volleyball Federation. I was there. Uh, well, and Jeff and I will share our first impressions on that. And then rotation two, we are going to talk with Supernova's outside hitter, Jess Shaven Landsman, who is one of the stars of that opening match for the Supernovas. Uh, we'll move on to rotation three. We'll talk about the portal moves. Nebraska's added a new player in Layla Blackwell. And also we have some destinations for uh, current Huskers and talk about where others may be going. Rotation four, we're going to talk about some Husker notes. There's a great article online that was released by the Journal Star a little bit ago. We'll kind of dig through some newsworthy parts of that. And then uh, we'll talk about rotation five. We'll get in, talk with some money. We'll talk volleyball economics. There's another news article that came out that we will uh, kind in of the share. Black. In, the, in the black. Oh, newspapers are great. Subscribe to your local news, uh, news outlet, too, and also uh, read all of our stuff, too. Um, and then rotation six, Jeff teased that we will have a new announcement talking about uh, things ahead for volleyball state podcasts. So starting next month, get excited. We will uh, tell you more about that in rotation six, but we are going to start rotation one 
Uh, a year full of history seems like every every match Nebraska plays, history is made. Uh, we had more volleyball history in the state of Nebraska on Wednesday night. The Omaha Supernovas opened up the Vol- Pro Volleyball Federation's first ever match, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. They played the Atlanta Vibe, and it was a very raucous crowd. But uh, yeah, it was a great match and a, a history-inducing uh, event to be part of. Uh, that it seems volleyball's happening in Nebraska. Let's make some history. You know, it was a. Uh, you had to think that the the organ the owners uh, within the Pro Volleyball Federation uh, and the league office, and of course the the Supernovas um, leadership as well, couldn't have hoped for a better start. Uh, at least from a performance uh, aspect, a five setter where Omaha drops the first two sets, two deuce games to Atlanta, um, comes back and wins games three and four, and then led late, Omaha led late in game five yeah. and ended up giving a late, giving up a late run. Atlanta comes away with the, the five set win. But I think, you know, today, uh, we're, we're not really interested in breaking down the supernovas all that much. I think what we want to talk about is more kind of the experience. What did, what was the feeling in the building? What does this mean in the bigger picture for professional volleyball? Um, and you know, some of the things that the league did, did right or, or things that we think maybe could, could be strengthened a little bit. But, you know, I, I was watching this at home on, um, a couple of different, uh, broadcast platforms, um, that the, the supernovas were able to, or the league was able to secure for Wednesday night. But Lincoln, you were there in CHI health center. Uh, yes. apparently you're getting accosted at, uh, concession stands. Everyone's coming up and oh. wanting to know when the next episode is going to drop. But what was your thoughts from, from getting a, a up close seat to, professional volleyball's debut in Nebraska. Yes, it was great. I should I should say I didn't have that close of seat. I would my the I was in the media overflow section, so I was sitting up above the lower bowl. Um I was not courtside. There were several there was a lot of different broadcasters that were down there, so the seating was limited, but I was in the building. Mm-hmm. It was kind of fun to be around. Uh, our people, I had a lot of people reached out. I appreciate saying that you enjoy the podcast. It was good to be amongst the uh, I, I believe that is what we call our target market. Uh, yes. but it's a lot of fun. Really, a- anyone who decides to listen is our target market. <laughs> we are very uh, undiscriminatory towards that. But it was just a lot of fun. I mean, to me, uh, the atmosphere, I mean, there was a buzz about it. I mean, people were excited talking to some other people that arrived early. Like, yeah, it's finally here. There's been so much anticipation and uh, build up to this. I mean, it, it, it kind of felt like the stadium match. I mean, that, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. that was, that was something on a different plane. I mean, of, 92,000 people too, but there had been a lot of anticipation, a lot of hype, a lot of buildup of people looking forward and circling this date, January 24th, as the start of something new and hopefully special. So I think it, it kind of had that feeling like, yeah, it's finally here. Um, and, and to me, once the match started, I think it, it felt like a final four match in the fact that, I mean, maybe at a neutral site where, yes, there are some hardcore people that are in it from the get go, but it took a little bit of time to warm up to. Mm-hmm. The play, I mean, these are, for the most part, are players that these fans don't have a connection to. They're rooting them because they have Omaha on their jerseys or they're representing the state of Nebraska. So it, it mm-hmm. took a little time. And as the match wore on, I think definitely they got into it. Um, I don't know what the uh, the lines were like at the uh, alcohol, at the, at the concession stands. But uh, people got more got into it as the match went on. And, and the fifth set was really a lot of fun, too. I mean. They were doing a supernova chant, like instead of Husker Power, they were saying supernova. So it was kind of cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, fans really warmed up to it and got got more into it as the match went on. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think you know, there's a couple things that 
are both a blessing and a curse on an opening night like that. I think Omaha really shows up to support big events. And you see that every year at the College World Series. You see that when the Volleyball Final Four is hosted at the CHI Health Center. You swim see trials, that in the yeah. NCAA basketball. Yeah, swim trials, NCAA basketball tournament, whether or not a local team is involved. Like the city of Omaha likes to come out for big events. And, and this definitely felt like that because this is historic. This is the first professional volleyball match. Um, of kind of this model in the United States. I don't want to minimize what Athletes Unlimited does, but but they don't have a model that's quite like this. Um, and so I think the challenge that Omaha is, and, and the rest of the markets in the league are going to have is how do you make that sustainable? Because like I think you can almost guarantee a decent attendance number um, for the opening night for each franchise. But, you know, how's that going to look in the 10th home match or, you know, the 16th home match? What's it look like in year two? And how do you keep people coming back? And so, you know, I think the you were going to have a really good crowd on Wednesday night. And now, you know, you've got to start building that emotional equity. You've got to be competitive on the court. Um, you've got to get the fans to you know connect with these players and, and keep coming back. And um, so I think that that kind of transitions a little bit into some of the things that I noticed uh, in, in that match. Um, just as for, I want, I've separated these things on my list into kind of like level of play things, on court things and off court things. Um, if you read and I would encourage anyone to read this, Tom Chattel, who's a mm-hmm. sports columnist, of course, for the World Herald, wrote a really good column about his impressions that ran on Thursday. And you can find that um, at Omaha.com that. Um, for the fans, if you, if you were a college volleyball fan, and, and most of the people I imagine who listen to this are, and I imagine a lot of the people who went on Wednesday night are college volleyball fans, you're used to a really elite level of college play. But I don't think you're ready for the, the, the level of play that professional volleyball players bring. Because even this team who's only been, you know, either of these teams, Atlanta or Omaha, who's been practicing together for like two months, would have smoked the best college team. Yeah. I mean, they, they're better athletes. Their skills are more polished. Uh, and that shows up, um, on the court. And these were two pretty evenly matched teams. So what you're going to notice, I think, in pro volleyball federation matches, Lincoln, is there's going to be longer rallies because the block and the defense are just so much better than I think your, your average or even your upper level college team. I mean, you're getting in system swings, but teams are getting block touches on them. The, the blockers are great. And when, uh, you know, that then leads to a lot of transition chances. So the two liberos in this match, Morgan Hens, who's maybe the best libero I've ever seen at the college level when she played for Stanford, was playing for uh, Atlanta. And then uh, Kendall White, Omaha's libero, is excellent as well. Those ladies dig balls. And the outside hitters that play in the back row are digging balls. And the coverage was really great. So if you took a swing uh, on your own side and got blocked, Everyone's hitting the floor to keep the ball up off the floor. And all that leads to just prolonged rallies. Lincoln, we had a five-set match that went about three hours. As far as the level of play, what are some things that jumped out to you? Yeah, and I think you look at those professionals. The one player that stood out to me was uh, Betty De La Cruz, who is, I think, 38-ish around that. She's upper 30s. Mm -hmm. Mid to upper 30s. She is a seasoned professional, and the shot selection that she has was just outstanding. She just made it look so easy. I mean... As you get into your late 30s, your athleticism starts to disappear a little bit, but her skill level... Mine started disappearing in my early 20s, I'll have you know. <laughs> Yes, well, she's an elite athlete, has been playing world-class volleyball mm-hmm. for 
decades. And I mean, she still is a world class athlete too. I mean, just she made some of those digs, even just the digs she made in the back row just looked so casual. And she would put her uh, passes on point for her setter. So she, I was really impressed with what she was able to do. And she just kind of, for me, was that example of that high level of play of, I mean, you, oh, she's going up to attack the ball. She doesn't have a shot. She would hit a roll shot or snap her wrist down uh, and, and, and find the floor too. So it was really impressive to see that level of play uh, and across the board too. And maybe uh, from players that who, who I think Nebraska fans are, I mean, there's a lot of Wisconsin alumni, a lot of Penn state alum on the court mm-hmm. too. So that was the one thing that I thought was weird. I mean, maybe they wanted to get away from that or were afraid of booing, but when they did the starting lineups, they announced their hometowns instead of their uh, mm-hmm. college, uh, the college they're from. So I don't know if they're just afraid, Oh, this person played at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. the Nebraska fans will boo them. But I think, to me, it provides context. Oh, yeah, Brooke Nunneville, she played at Oregon. I remember her mm-hmm. wearing, wearing that when seeing her play in the well, postseason there. You had, a, you, had a, you had a couple players who, who did not attend a U.S. college, I think. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that, but you know, some international players um, who, who might not have played in the U.S., maybe this is a way to kind of you know, not, not make them feel different from... From everyone else, I don't know. Maybe that's something that the players even talked about and how they wanted to do it. I, I had not considered that because I didn't get to see the opening uh, introductions. But you know, yeah, that's interesting to me. Maybe it's more, you know, this league is modeled off of an international model league that exists in other countries where mm-hmm. college athletics isn't really a thing. Um, and so uh, that that's a little bit surprising to me. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me again about level of play is I don't think you're going to see players get bounce blocked a ton in this league like you see in college a lot. And that's because players are really disciplined when they're taking swings. And if they are being asked to hit kind of an imperfect set, if they're out of system, one thing professionals do and international players do really well um, are recycle points. And I really wish college teams would get better at doing this, um, which is to say, if, if you are being asked to hit a set a little bit off the net, you're not going to take an undisciplined swing that's either going to go out of bounds or have a likelihood of getting blocked. You're going to hit it kind of an off-speed shot softly into the block so that your hitter, your your teammates can cover it or maybe you can cover it and you can get back in system. And I think that's a, that's sort of the mark of a really polished, smart, professional team is being able to recycle points instead of blasting away into a a double block and costing your team a point. So I, that's another thing that jumped out at me at level of play. I think too, and I know that the the match on Thursday night between what Columbus and Grand Rapids was a sweep, but I think there's just going to be fewer blowouts because this is a professional league where the level of talent is just a little bit more equalized among all the teams. Yeah. Omaha lost this match three to two. The three sets they lost were two deuce games. Well, and then three deuce. 25, 23, 26, 24. Yeah, three deuce games. Three deuce games. And then 15, 13. And then even the sets they won, you know, it, it wasn't like 25, 12. Yeah, 19 and... 17 and 19, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So right. this is going to be... These are going to be tight matches that swing on, um, you know, a, a couple points per set. And so yeah. if you like good competitive volleyball, I think this is going to be a league that's great for that. And part of that, too... You know, the one thing we haven't really talked about much is the elite level attacking. You kind of mentioned before the show started when we were just getting set up, Lincoln, is, you know, there was some big name uh, outside hitters. Leah Edmond was a great player and you saw her go off for Atlanta. Um, she was a great player at Kentucky. Betty De La Cruz is super famous. So, you know, she's on a little bit of the downside of her career. Um, you backside, don't have backside. sort of that. 
backside. I'm sorry, backside of, of her <laughs> career. Um, but you don't have, you know, like Olympic level, I would say, pin hitters that are, you know, going to play for China, Russia, Italy. Uh, you know, some of those elite level Bosnian attackers that are just like, it doesn't matter how good your blocking defense is, they're putting the ball down. And maybe that's sort of what comes in the, the next couple of iterations of the league. Because, you know, this isn't, this isn't like the best league in the world when it comes to talent, just like MLS isn't the best quality of talent, uh, in soccer in the U.S. But like, this is, this is building the floor. And I think the, 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 the level and the play only goes up from here too. Yeah, for sure. And that was one thing I saw too. I mean, uh, Brooke Nunnerville from Oregon had a great match. She led, uh, led the, uh, supernovas and kills. And you saw that the next night too with, uh, Claire Chasse from, uh, Louisville who plays for the, uh, Grand Rapids, Louisville. Grand Rapids Rise. That, I mean, it, maybe it's just the super athletic, a little bit undersized hitters who, and play six rotation. They would, I mean, that, um, if it's, you can take out, uh, any kind of takeaways after the first two matches. We're, we're taping this on Friday before there's another match. The uh, vibe play again tonight against Orlando, I believe. And, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to draw these assumptions about the level of player style of play that this league is really set up to. But I mean, the one other thing that I saw, you also tell, these teams have only been together for a month. This is the beginning. This mm-hmm. is not what they're going to look like in April and May towards the end of this season. Uh, I mean, there was a couple uh, floor defenses where the ball would land between two players and like, oh, who's supposed to have that? And they're still trying to figure out their rotations and coverage. And, and those things happen when you get these brand new teams for people who haven't played together or haven't, I mean, they're practicing mm-hmm. every day. But it's a, there, there is a little bit of learning curve and you saw a few of those moments mm-hmm. too. But definitely the talent is there and I think it's going to be a really great product once they get some time to gel and uh, mm-hmm. figure things out. Yeah. I think if you're a casual volleyball fan, you're really impressed with this level of play because it's better than, than you're even going to see from the best college teams. Uh, I think there's very small, you know, at least in this market, number of people who are like expecting them to be, you know, the, the Olympic team right away. And so, you know, the floor is built pretty high right now and the level mm-hmm. of play is only going to go up. Uh, I want to get your impression, Lincoln, on a couple of things, you know, uh, of the match away from the level of play kind of in the game presentation. Um, this is really where the league and their broadcast partners and their, you know, the front offices, how they are set up. Um, the game presentation just for me when I was watching at home seemed, seemed really solid, you know, and these startup leagues and, and, you know, uh, professional, you know, minor leagues is what I've, I've seen. I'm a little bit more familiar with having been, been around those leagues. They have to keep the game presentation moving during stoppages, have to keep fans engaged. Um, yeah. that, you know, I think we don't, you don't see at the same level of college. Uh, what, what did you see kind of from the in arena experience when it came to, um, whether it was pre-match promotions during the match, how just like the feeling was in the arena with, with the production elements of the match. It, it felt it had a very collegial atmosphere too. I mean, there's, they played music. They had some good hype videos when the team came out, starting lineups were fun. Uh, and then also they had an in, in-house uh, MC who, any of you have been to Nebraska. D-Wayne. D-Wayne was in the house and D-Wayne is very good at his job. He did a great job and they did a good job. But it was really cool. They, he did like interviews with fans, random fans, like, uh, here's a young girl. Here's somebody who is all into the supernovas or here's the family that came down. It was kind of cool. They did some hum- minor hum- human interest stories in between breaks. Uh, so that was a nice little mm-hmm. touch too. They 
threw out lots of t-shirts. Uh, they had pom-poms, uh, pink and blue pom-poms throughout most of the arena too. So that kind of helped the atmosphere. So I, I thought the production value of the event was very well thought through, very intentional and added to the energy and excitement of the crowd, uh, as the match wore on too. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, my, my one thing that I, it took me a while to get used to the buzzer that sounded, uh, it sounded like right. it was a, it was like a glitch or something, like something had gone wrong, but apparently that's an international buzzer. I don't, it is, but, but, it, but it, it's basically just like a, a buzzer in basketball, right? It means yeah. it either means there's a substitution or a timeout or a challenge. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And it just the first couple times I'm like, oh, it was no. very noticeable on the broadcasts. Yeah. It's, it's like, oh no, their speaker, their video board had just had a glitch and froze. Like, eh. and it, oh, sorry. Sorry for doing that in the microphone. Yeah. It did not sound like the good news alarm. No, it's, it wasn't like a horn. It was like, it was, it sounded, it took a while to get used to. And every, even at the at last, it got used to it. It's like, it sounded, it sounded wrong to me. So that was the yeah, one thing it's that like I a half thumped on. It sounds like, you know, you overbid on the Price is Right Showcase Showdown. That's that's what it sounded like. I mean, I think it's really clear that a lot of the people involved in, in, in the Supernovas um, have been involved in sports before and for a long time. You know, these are professionals that are um, that are working this. I, I think you and I both have experience interacting with some of the front office parts of the Supernovas. Um, they, they obviously have very great corporate support. Uh, and that doesn't surprise me, knowing what we know about the city of Omaha and the, the number of companies there are really going to get behind kind of a local effort like this. Um, and so, you know, if you looked around the edges of the court, there was a lot of corporate logos and the sponsorship seems to be very strong. And Michael Stevens and his crew have been working for months to like pull together some, some corporate partners and really market this uh, team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've all been very accessible. You know, the media relations people are all very responsive and, uh, they're, they're really trying to get the word out and build relationships within the community to to make Omaha one of the strongest franchises in this league. So I think it seems very professional um, from that aspect. One odd thing I felt like I, I wanted to mention that kind of bothered me a little bit is I don't like the court design. Oh. I feel like it's really dark. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the court itself, like the play, interior playing surface, the inbounds area is gray. And a lot of Terraflex floors will will be you know wood colored, and yeah. that's the way it was in I think Grand Rapids on Thursday night in the Grand Rapids Columbus match, and it creates a really good light dark contrast between the out of bounds and the inbounds playing surface, and just everything in the arena looked very dark. You know, you've mm. got dark blue, dark gray, black around the outsides, and I felt like it, things could just be a little lighter because it makes it easier to see. But part of that could be because of how I was watching the match, which was on streaming which is maybe the next thing that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, the, the streaming quality is just not as clear as when you're watching something in a, in a high def production. And we got word, you know, maybe just before the match that we thought it was going to be streamed on stadium, a Valley sports channel, which I, I had found, but then I saw that the match wasn't coming on, but then they said, Oh, just kidding. We're going to be streaming this on YouTube. Um, which I think is ultimately good because it lets people, everyone knows how to get on YouTube and find stuff, but switching your channel at the last minute is not a great way to, to build an audience. And they did it again the next night for that Columbus Grand Rapids match. I think it was just a couple hours notice. Um, they said, Hey, we're not actually going to be on stadium. You can find the match on YouTube. And so the pro volleyball federation just has to make this easier to find and easier to watch and getting, you know, 
I didn't expect this in year one, but as the years go on, if this league is going to continue to grow and thrive, probably need some better broadcast partners that are just make the matches easier to find and, and with a clear picture for you to watch it because you really need that to appreciate a sport with this much speed and this much power. You know, you, you can't kind of, this can't be a standard definition sport. Yeah. And I think that was maybe more so on, I don't, I don't know from what I heard, it could have been more of a stadium issue rather than a pro volleyball federation. I don't know for the, what the disconnect was too, because all three of these first matches were all then moved to YouTube. I, I think I saw something on Thursday morning that they put out a graphic that it was on YouTube, but that's not a good sign if mm-hmm. you have to switch to, um, from those, I mean, stadium for the most part is free. Valley Live is free, but to put on YouTube, it is kind of beneficial. YouTube, I think it's easier to find, but again, that last minute switch of you mm-hmm. make plans, you download the stadium app, uh, it throws a curveball. Uh, I was unable to watch. I didn't, it was also on News Channel Nebraska too. I, again, within the arena, I didn't, I didn't hear, uh, how that production was, but, uh, did you have a chance to? Yeah, I checked it out a little bit. I, I actually bounced back and forth a little, little bit, and I think in game three I switched over to um, to watch the news channel Nebraska broadcast, which is John Baylor uh, and Nancy Metcalf on, yeah. on the call, and they did a really good job. You know, it's it's always interesting. It, it, I thought John John's a total pro, and, and he did a good job. It's interesting when you take a radio or someone who's used to doing stuff on radio and turning them into a TV broadcaster. It's just a different medium where you yeah. you have to do it differently. And I thought he made a nice adjustment. And, you know, for the, I, I don't remember the name of the broadcaster on, on YouTube who was with Emily Eamon, but the, the man that was doing play by play, I thought they did really good. Um, and, you know, one thing that we've talked about before is as more matches that are on television or being streamed, give more broadcasters opportunities that this is not a sport that people grew up watching. And so the broadcasting of it is sort of still in development. The vocabulary that broadcasters use. Um, is still kind of being developed. And so we're in like the pioneer of volleyball broadcasters right here. Cause you know, John Baylor will call a match his way and he's got his lexicon of how to describe things. And then you have somebody else where sometimes you're like, are we watching the same match? Um, and so, you know, I know as long as you're able to watch it on video, maybe you don't care too much what the announcers sound like, but uh, this is going to, this league is going to give, I think more young broadcasters a chance to, to get some more experience and and develop a vocabulary about how to call this sport. For sure. Yeah. I would, so I'd, hopefully it goes, the games will be broadcast on CBS sports network. I mean, they kind of released their first two months through the end of February. And I think once my hypothetical, my, my hypo- hypothesis is that once college basketball is done, there'll be more open time slots on CBS sports network. So hopefully mm-hmm. they're able to get that um, on a more a better platform than a, some of these free streaming or uh, the stadium, yeah. um, more opportunities for people, more people to see it. So I, I want to say let's, uh, let's, Jake, Jake Herman was the uh, announcer that was with Emily Eamon. So, um, okay. Yeah. Sorry, Jake, our bad. Come on the show. We'd love to have you. Uh, let's talk about the big thing that, that like if you were both watching at home or in the arena, that is a huge difference. And I think a very welcome difference from a college experience, which is the, the Volt 6 replay system. If you watch the match, you notice there was there were two officials. There was a chair official and a down official. There were not the two lines officials that you're used to seeing in high school or college. And the reason why they don't have them is because they've been replaced by robots. Skynet has come to volleyball. Yes. A 22 camera system makes the calls on uh, in and out and touches um, it, that that are closely decided. I think they said it was if it's a foot within the lines. 
that's when the Bolt 6 system takes over. You get quick resolution of in and out. Um, there's the replay system, or excuse me, the challenge system is a little bit different. Coaches only have, I think, seven seconds from the end of a point to decide whether or not they want to challenge. So you don't have a two-minute argument between a coach and a down official, and then the green card comes out, and then you have five more minutes of review. We all get minutes of our lives back that we would be better spending with our loved ones. And thank God, because this is a huge improvement, I think, uh, oh. just over over the quality of watching the match as a fan. For sure. And I think in arena, I don't know if everyone realized that the first re- review happened when it was happening. They kind of showed, I mean, it looks like when you, if you watch tennis a lot too, it looks like that kind of, uh, uh kind of an animation. Yeah, it's like, where it's similar to the Hawkeye animation. system. Yes, but it's bolt six. They will tell you it's bolt six, not Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, right. If first one happened, they showed the replay and it kind of confirmed or I think it confirmed that and like, okay, move on with the point. And then everyone's like, oh, that was an actual review. I don't know if everyone realized what had happened. There were a couple instances later and even one ones that weren't uh, line or line calls that were touch calls. The camera, they showed the camera up on the big screen on the Jumbotron and it looked so crystal clear. And I'm used to watching the replays that you see in college volleyball and you try, oh, did a finger move back? Well, there's like a fuzzy frame where maybe it was mm-hmm. such an upgrade. And I think when they, even when they did make those calls, fans cheered because it, it took 30 seconds, if that, and some of them may not have noticed mm-hmm. it was happening at all. So it was such a great, such a great upgrade. Not, not a cheap upgrade, but, uh, it no. helped the flow of the flow of the match and just helped the flow from point to point as well, too. Well, and I don't know if Bolt 6 is the system they use uh, for FIVB and in the Olympics, but it was very similar to international matches that I've been to where you watch. Um, there's no five-minute reviews in an Olympic match. It's They can take a look at the system and tell in and out within 10 seconds. They can see a micro touch on um, a block touch within five or 10 seconds. It just keeps the match moving. And... and not just for expediency, it gets it right. You know, mm-hmm. the technology is better to actually make the correct call and make the correct call faster. Yeah. Now, the reason why we can't have this in college volleyball right now is the NCAA, I think, or maybe it's just conferences, standardizes the systems and says, like Nebraska, you can't have a different replay system than like Rutgers. And so Rutgers they want to standardize the experience. Yeah, yeah, sorry. We, we picked the school that doesn't spend very much money on volleyball. But, um, so once again, it's, it's, we're only going to get this level of, um, replay and review at the professional level or the international level. Coaches, I guess, also have to challenge from, you know, there's no green card. They challenge from an iPad. So it's like, you know, they're, they're ordering pizza on a, on a Friday (laughs) night. So like I'm, I'm waiting for a, for a coach, you know, maybe I'm, I'm stereotyping a little bit, but if you have an older coach who isn't as familiar with like the, the iPad technology, like throwing it to their assistant be like, Janice, hurry up, challenge this. We've got five seconds. How do I do it? But, uh, it overall led to a much better, I think, viewer and in arena watching experience. Yeah. It also removes the line judges too. So those people who are sitting close to the court side, they don't have to bend around and look around uh, a line judge there. So it just kind of cleans up the uh, people on the court um, and makes it a better product that way too. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it's a lot easier to do this when you only have uh, seven teams to buy these systems for rather than 14 or whatever, 18 or 20 teams in the big 10 or a hundred teams in NCAA volleyball too. So it's a little bit easier to do it on this scale, but 
again, just adds another layer. I mean, it legit, I think it, like Sheldon Collier said this, it legitimizes this league and makes it look like a mm-hmm. first class operation and really ups the, ups the standards. So, uh, it was, yeah, another great, great match. So too, that's kind of our review. Uh, if you want to get out there, there are a couple upcoming home matches. So by the time you listen to this, the next home match is February 3rd, Saturday night against the San Diego Mojo. And then uh, they have another one the following Wednesday against the Las Vegas Thrill on February 7th. So a couple other opportunities to see the Supernovas and be part of a, something special. We'll see. Uh, they always talk big that this is going to last forever. Hopefully the 13-year-olds in the stands will get a chance to play this. So uh, get out there, show your mm-hmm. support so it can do that. That's one of the cool things I thought about this. And I know Tom Chattel mentioned this in his column um, is you had young women, you know, in their early teens who went to that match on Wednesday night, that one of them is going to grow up to be a really talented volleyball player and be able to play professionally and to just show that these, uh, these athletes that there's economic opportunity in the sport that they don't have to just hang it up right after college. And they don't have to maybe travel halfway around the world to find a job playing uh, volleyball is is one of the most attractive parts of this league. And that's going to be a really cool story. Maybe to look back on in 10 years, you find the 25 year old player who's maybe playing for the Supernovas or playing professionally that was in the stands that night. Just like, you know, you hear the stories of how. Kelly Hunter, the Rolfson twins were in the stands when Nebraska, you know, won the 2006 national championship in Omaha. And then they were turning around and playing nine years later and, uh, winning a national title there. It's just a really cool way to continue to build the next generation of the sport. All right. So we are very grateful for the support this week and for the past several months of the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union. They're a proud supporter of Husker Volleyball and their fans. And now they can say they're a proud sponsor of Volleyball State this week. We know there are a lot of alumni and fans and friends of the University of Nebraska who listen. You are all eligible to be members of the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union, because if you're an alum of any of the University of Nebraska system campuses, or if you have a family member who's an alum, or if you're just a big Husker fan, hey, you could become a member of NUFCU. They offer their members personal loans with competitive interest rates and flexible repayment terms, and that makes it easier for you to manage any current debt that you have. If you need to refinance something or get out from under some debt, You can get your financial ducks in a row with the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union. You can learn how they can help you and become a member online at nufcu.org. So thanks very much to the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union for supporting volleyball and volleyball state. Moving on to rotation two, Lincoln had a chance to sit down with one of the stars of Wednesday night night that you saw on court at the CHI Health Center, Omaha Supernova's outside hitter and former Iowa State star, Jess Shaben Landsman. Let's kick it over to rotation two and Lincoln's interview with Jess. We are joined now by Omaha Supernova outside hitter Jess Shaben Landsman. Uh, she's coming off of a, a great first match against Atlanta. She had 12 kills and three bo- three blocks. Uh, for those in the Omaha area may know her as uh, Jess Shaben. She grew up uh, Defiance, played for Harlan, uh, had a, won a bunch of state titles there, and also had a quite the illustrious career at Iowa State, too. Uh, so we're excited to have Jess on Volleyball State. So thanks for joining us today, Jess. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, great. Well, it's been a few days since the, the opening match on Wednesday. What sticks out to your mind? I mean, when, as you think back through the night, what are what are some highlights or what's still sticking with you a few days after the fact? Oh, gosh. Um, it was one of the coolest experiences to be a part of. 
I know that we fell short a couple points, but it just doesn't feel like a loss because of what it meant. Um, I just think to all of us and what it meant to women and what it meant to volleyball and just the state of Nebraska. Like it was just one of the most epic experiences ever. Just the fans, the lights, the crowd, just all rallying around us and the sport of volleyball that we all love so much. So I know we lost, but it doesn't feel like that. And I just feel like it was one of the, yeah, best experiences to be a part of. Awesome. Hey, is Was that the largest crowd you ever played in? I mean, what are some other large crowds that you've been a part of in your volleyball career? I definitely think that was the largest crowd I've ever played in front of. I mean, we had some big crowds at Iowa State, mm-hmm. probably around 8,000. Um, but I don't think, I mean, we played at Texas and, you know, Kansas State and like all those places. But I feel like that was definitely the largest crowd that I have ever played in front of. So it was, it was pretty exciting. <laughs> Getting to read a little bit about you and learning, talking to you after the post-match. I mean, you've been on quite the journey to get here. I mean, not Mm -hmm. only coming from small town, Iowa, just an hour or so uh, east of Omaha um, to playing at Iowa State. And you went on to beach. I mean, what after after you finished your indoor career, which had a very illustrious, I think you were the first Iowa State player to ever have 300 kills in all four seasons. You went to go play beach at LSU. I mean, what, what about that was intriguing to you or make you wanted to kind of take that path? Well, I wanted to keep playing volleyball. Um, and I just, I really didn't want to go overseas. Um, I just wanted to stay in the United States. And so I, you know, I was talking to my mom and my friends and I'm like, I don't know, like, should I try beach? It's, you know, it's a totally different sport, but, you know, after some convincing, a lot of uh, my friends and family are like, do it, just give it a shot. And so um, I went on a visit at LSU and just fell in love with LSU, fell in love with the coaches, this team. And I just felt like that was the right fit for me. And um, my husband, he was my uh, fiance at the time, Mm -hmm. um, was very supportive of that too. And so, yeah, I I just felt like that was the right decision to go try beach and it ended up turning out really great. And I honestly feel like that's what has allowed me to keep playing now is, you know, having that beach experience, like it's helped grow my knowledge of the game and understanding shots and everything like that a lot more. Had you played much beach competitively before you got into that? Or is that, I mean, is that, or is that just something you do as a college volleyball player, you pick up some beach or had you done much of that before you got to LSU? No, I had not done any of it. Um, <laughs> I, so it was all brand new. Um, I obviously wanted to, I looked up to Carrie Walsh my whole life, but no, mm-hmm. I had never done anything with beach before. Yeah, We just didn't have that luxury here in, you know, Nebraska. Now, obviously they do, but at the time I didn't. So yeah, uh, that was cool. I mean, was that, I mean, is also, I imagine you got to uh, get your master's degree and uh, start working on that too. So you, you get some educational uh, forward m- m- movement with your uh, professional career as well, too. So it's good. It's good. Uh, good. Good. Everyone wins in that department. Yeah, it was absolutely. It was a win-win. I knew I wanted to go on to teaching. And so I'm like, wow, I can get my master's in a year. Perfect. Like this is a great <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. So. I mean, when you were done at LSU, did you think your volleyball career was over or your playing days were over at that point? Were you kind of focused on going into teaching and coaching at that point? Or did you explore 
playing professionally abroad at all at that point? Well, so my season at LSU technically ended with COVID in 2020. And so that was the end, supposed to be the end. And then um, I got married in June and I was like, okay, I'm ready to start, you know, life. I'm ready to teach. I'm ready to, you know, just do all that stuff. And then I went on to actually teach a semester and just like had that like feeling of like, you know what, you've got to finish, you know, because I didn't have that closure with volleyball like I mm-hmm. wanted. And so I actually ended up going back at semester to finish out at LSU. All the other seniors went. So I'm like, I have to go back. And <laughs> so I ended up going back for that um, last semester and then um, played there. And I did really honestly feel a closure with volleyball after that. Like I was like, I'm done. This was awesome. Ready to go on teach, you know, start our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we did. And it was awesome. Like I, I was very content with all of that. And, um, so yeah, I was, I wasn't seeking to continue playing at all. Yeah. You kind of got into coaching and you ended up at, at Blair teaching and coaching there too. I mean, what about the coaching? Did you, did you like, and kind of get in, want to get into that realm of the game? Well, I have, I absolutely love coaching. Um, I love coaching the youth, but I have really grown to love coaching high school too. I think just like I wanted to stay around volleyball because I love it so much. Um, And so I just wanted to help a lot of girls because I was that girl, you know, that looked up to volleyball players growing up. Like I, I wanted to be that for young athletes coming into the sport and just, you know, hopefully inspire them to keep playing. And so Mm -hmm. um, coaching at Blair has really just been very fulfilling and just like helping you know girls who are like me at a smaller school like try to achieve big dreams so I I absolutely love coaching and I'm actually going to be the head coach for Blair next year so I am so excited for that opportunity (laughs) and you know it's just fun being you know in Omaha playing but also coming back and like talking to these high school girls and just giving them my experiences too yeah for sure it it sounded like, like you said, you were going on with your life. You had a child a year ago. You're starting your coaching career too. But then all of a sudden, this pro volleyball thing starts taking off. When when did you first hear about the Pro Volleyball Federation? And when did that come on your radar? Well, I heard about it a long time ago. You know, I was like, wow, that, that's really cool. Great for those girls. So exciting. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, um, I got a text from my college coach, Christy Johnson. I was actually teaching last year, my fourth graders, mm-hmm. and I got a text from Christy and my kids were out at recess. So it was a perfect time to get a text. And she said, hey, are you interested in playing volleyball in Omaha? I was asking me if you had any interest. And oh my gosh, first off, that's super cool. And second off, I was like, what, me? Like, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> Um, cause it has been a while since I played volleyball and I don't know, I just, I was very shocked to get that text, but also like very intrigued and excited about it. And so I called her and I'm like, what do you mean? Like, this is so cool, but like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so after talking to her, I immediately called my husband. I'm like, what do you think of this? And he's like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. You have to do it. Um, so he was super supportive and that made me want to keep doing it. So once they hired uh, Coach Collier, we had a phone call back in, I think, July, maybe mm-hmm. June or July. And, you know, he kind of laid that out for me. So it was a very um, exciting phone call, but I was just not sure what to expect. 
Yeah. And plus, I'll not, I mean, not sure what I expect for the team too, but I mean, imagine you personally too. I mean, I think you said you had like a four or five month old at that point too. I mean, what is that journey like to not only just get back in physical shape, but get back to play professionally? Because I don't, I mean, had you been playing much at all or just kind of working out with the girls in practice or what was your, where was your volleyball routine at at that point? You know, I really didn't have much of a volleyball routine. Like after having Jace, I, you know, I would obviously serve at the girls at practice and, you know, pepper for fun with them. And like, but I really wasn't playing at all. So right when I got that text, I'm like, all right, it's time to, you know, get in shape. And because getting in shape is as just like a regular, you know, human is obviously a lot different than a professional athlete. So I knew I had to like start the grind of that. And so I actually called Christy up and she hooked me up, wrote up a nice summer plan for me. And so that was definitely a lot of work, um, getting back into that type of shape, but I'm very thankful for the Iowa state staff because they really helped me do it. And so, and my husband, I always called him, well, I called uh, him, my like Rocky trainer or whatever yeah. the, the name of that is. <laughs> We're getting back into shape together. Your Adrian, I think it's Adrian, right? Your Adrian trainer. There you go. Yes. 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 All right. Well, Adrian's the wife. How are you a different player now than you were at Iowa state? I mean, you're a few years older. You've you had that experience with beach too. How are you a different player now than where you left when you f- finished your indoor career with the Cyclones, the Iowa state Cyclones, I should specify, because you were the Harlan Cyclones too. I think that a lot has changed. I, I definitely feel like when I was playing at Iowa state, like volleyball was who I was. Um, and that was like what I did. And now I feel like volleyball isn't like who I am. It's just something that I'm doing for fun. You know, like I love it. And I feel like, my perspective on life has changed. Like I have my son now and I get to come home to him and my husband every day. And like, that's truly what matters. And I feel like, yes, volleyball matters a ton, but like, I think it shifted my perspective and I really can just go out and just enjoy this because it's fun and it's not something I have to do. It's something like I get to do. And so um, I think my perspective on life has definitely shifted and it's honestly very freeing to just go out and just have a blast playing because I was not expecting to do this. It sounds like, I mean, yeah, just enjoy the moment, kind of live with that and take whatever. I mean, what were your, what were your goals when you entered the training camp and kind of you're on the roster? I mean, there's more than more than 20 players and in that training camp too, what are your goals to make the team? I imagine being a competitive person, you want to give it your all and shoot for the top. I mean, what are, what are your expectations and kind of when did you know that, you belonged and you could, 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 could compete at this level. Yeah, it was definitely a lot of mental things I had to overcome because, I, you know, I had a lot of self-doubt going into it. I was like, am I going to be able to, like, play with these girls? You know, they haven't stopped playing. Like, I had a baby. Like, I just had a lot of things I had to, like, shift in my brain and just I prayed a lot about it. And I was just like, just go out there and compete as hard as you can and, like, let the chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to compete really. I didn't have really any expectations on it because I had no idea what this journey would look like. And so, you know, I wanted to just hit as hard as I could and just get as many kills as I could and just have fun. And, yeah. um, so I think that is what I did. I just played hard and competed. And once mini camp was over, obviously my, you know, after talking to coach, he's like, you have a real chance to make this team, mm-hmm. you know, and. So that's when I think it shifted in my brain, like, 
not only now do I want to be on a team, I want to be playing. Like I, I want to earn that spot. And so that's when it shifted for me. Like, okay, I think I'm okay on a team, but now let's, let's earn that spot. And so, um, yeah, it's been a lot of like mentally, uh, shifting things in my brain around just like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's been very cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was the emotion like when you realized that you did make that final roster? Not only that, but you were, I mean, you started that first match of the league too. I mean, what, what emotions did you get when you got that news? Oh gosh. When coach talked to me about it, I literally started crying because, you know, it had been a long process. Like he called me in July and he talked about it at the press conference, but he basically told me I didn't have a chance to make the team because he had it set. And I just, I told him, I'm like, I just need an opportunity. You know, like if the opportunity is there, it's worth it for me to, you know, train as hard as I can for these next six months or five months or whatever. Like it's worth it. But if I was like, if I have zero chance, if you're saying no, like then it's not worth it for me. And he did say, okay, yeah, if you can beat someone out, you have a chance. That is what really inspired me the whole time. I was like, I want to prove that I can do this, you know? And so when he told me I made the team, I just cried. And because <laughs> I was just so like, wow, this is so unbelievable. And I remember calling my husband bawling. I called my mom bawling. And so um, it was a lot of emotion for sure. Awesome. We are talking here with Jess Landsman with the Omaha Supernovas. We've got a couple more questions for you before we let you get to practice here. Uh, but you, you mentioned after the match, too, you saw a couple of Blair players. I mean, have you had a chance to kind of talk to them and uh, get a feel for their experience, too, and what it was like to see their co- coach out in the court competing at a high level? I haven't totally had a chance to, like, talk to them about their experience. My husband's actually a teacher okay. um, in the school, so he has had a chance to talk to them and I think that like, it's just a very cool feeling. I think a lot of the girls are really excited about it. And um, I think just, it's fun to be in a small community because you can just go out and make your community proud. And that's what I want to try to do is just represent, obviously Harlan where I'm from, but also Blair, which is where now where we're um, living. And so just trying to make those girls proud. You're, are you are you teaching again currently or are you just coaching volleyball at Blair? Um, right now I'm just coaching volleyball. Um, so we're in an off season right now. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually directing a beach volleyball club in the summer and I'll be coaching Blair. So a lot of coaching coming up, which mm-hmm. I love to do. So, so I mean, it's, it's not that difficult to ba- balance that right now because kind of off season, it fits perfectly with the high school, high school season too. Was that a challenge kind of when you were helping out with the program this past year and trying to gear up to get ready to go for your season? You know, I, I'm a stay at home mom or I, I was being a stay at home mom while, um, like I, I stopped teaching last May. That was, um, and I was just going to stay at home with my son. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would train in the mornings and he would go to the YMC childcare and then <laughs> I would pick him up and hang out with my son all day. And then we'd go coach at three together. And so it really wasn't like this crazy thing. I, I feel lucky in that way. Like I was able to train in the morning and still be a mom with Jace and then go coach and still, you know, be a wife to my husband and like be around. So I feel very lucky that it really didn't change a lot of my life. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll talk a little bit about what uh, is upcoming for the supernovas too. You got a couple of home matches on Wednesday 
and uh, Saturday and then the following Wednesday as well, too. I mean, what what are your hopes for the rest of the season? Now, you got that first little taste of what it's like to play professional volleyball. What are your hopes and dreams for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think this team, we have obviously very big goals. We want to win the championship. Um, so it's going to start with this next game we have. Um, I think we can all like kind of what we were talking about in the locker room is we can just breathe a little bit now. We have that first game, you know, the jitters out of the way. We know what to expect. Um, we've done it now before. And I think um, at practice, we're going to obviously tone up those little things that we felt like we needed to. So I think the expectation is we want to win. And I'm just really excited for another chance to play and like correct those little things that felt like cost us the game. Awesome. Hey, are you still having to pinch yourself? This is actually happening and this is all real and you're part of this, hopefully the history making of the first year of many for the, the this league. Oh my gosh. Every day I have to like remind myself like that this is real. Like I'm driving to practice right now and I'm literally like, is this real? Like I'm going to professional volleyball practice. So yeah, it's definitely something that it's, I'm just very, very thankful for every day. Well, awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Jess. Uh, again, Supernovas, they have a couple of matches. They are open up uh, Saturday against uh, their home at Saturday then the, on the 3rd, and they have another home game on Wednesday, February 7th. So a couple more chances to catch the Supernovas. So thanks, Jess, for uh, coming on, sharing your fun journey and uh, glad to uh, see you on the court uh, being part of the Supernovas. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, we're going to move now to Rotation 3 and talk about more transfer portal news. Uh, the portal closed way back in the first part of January, but players are still finding their schools. One of those players is coming to Nebraska. Uh, I believe this will happen maybe the day after after we talked, very shortly after our last episode, of course. Uh, yeah, early the, January. Early January. It's all a blur before the snowstorm, I think. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but Layla Blackwell from University of San Diego chose Nebraska, a middle blocker, very key addition to the Huskers, who only had two middle blockers on the roster before that. But uh, she is a grad transfer, has one year of eligibility left. Uh, she will be joining the Huskers, too. She kind of she has a nice little resume that she's bringing with, with her to join the Huskers, too. She averaged 1.2 blocks per set. Hit 329, uh, her best year and also the best year for San Diego and program history during her junior season is when San Diego kind of made that fun run to the final four. They played up in Omaha, uh, the Toreros, uh, behind the setter, Gabby Blossom, uh, and national mm-hmm. coach of the year, Jen Petrie, uh, really had a great year. She was all West Coast Conference, uh, that year, hit 354. An average 1.5 blocks, uh, which was top 10 in the country, too. She's also a decent attacker. I think she averages just around two kills per set is where she is. So um, just, I mean, really, mm-hmm. I, I think she's more proficient on blocking than she is offensively, but a uh, really nice addition to the Huskers. Uh, I mean, Je- Jeff, how do you how do you yeah. see her fitting with Nebraska? You know, I'm, and I might take issue with that last thing you said just a little bit. Uh, she she hit 329 in 20 in the 2023 season, so I guess we can start referring to that as last season. Now, as a junior in 2022, when they went to the Final Four, she hit 354. She yeah. might actually be the most polished offensive player of Nebraska's three middle blockers right now. I don't think she she's going to get up as high as Andy Jackson, but they ran a lot of their offense through her in the middle, um, especially in front of the setter. It looks like she's maybe a little bit more comfortable attacking in front of the setter than, than running slides, but we'll, we'll see how Nebraska uses her. And, you know, this is, 
you look at someone who's coming in and you have two returning starters and you think, oh, that's great just to add depth. I think she's really going to push for playing time. Yeah. Um, she's going to really, at the very least, challenge Becca Alec and Andy Jackson to to get better. And, you know, I think Nebraska's lucky they got her landed before. Um, we got eight inches of snow dropped on us in Lincoln and saw temperatures that didn't get above zero for um, a week or so. She started her career at Indiana. And I know we this isn't the first time we mentioned her name because we brought her up on our last show as someone that we, we thought that Nebraska was looking with because she was in the portal. Um, we don't know this for sure. I think there has been some, ch- there was some chatter that, that maybe Texas was also in the running to, uh, secure her final year of college volleyball and, and Nebraska ended up, um, coming out on top in that, uh, in that race too. So I think, you know, I normally you would have maybe four middle blockers on your roster. Nebraska is going to look like they're going to roll with three, um, right now. And I think this, this gives Nebraska really solid middle blocker room because, you know, you're, you're one illness, one injury away from, from needing your third middle to come in. And I think this, you know, Nebraska got about as good a one as there was out there. Yeah. And you saw this for the past couple of years too. The way Becca Alec plays is so physical, so demanding on her body too, that sometimes you just need a break. And, um, Maggie Mendelson stepped into that role this past couple of years and got a few starts, but it, you never know when you're going to need depth. And, uh, and to have someone of this quality who's not just depth, like you said, but is a star quality, is a high caliber, when she's honorable mention All American, uh, really, really adds to that room too. And I think I, I got the chance to talk to her afterwards and why she chose Nebraska too. She really got a good inside look at Nebraska too, because her roommate this past year at San Diego was former Nebraska setter, Ani Evans, who uh, graduated in three years and then kind of uh, went out there to continue, follow some uh, academic pursuits and also play some volleyball too. So she got an inside mm-hmm. look and kind of got, and she said, I mean, there was no tampering going on, but this, when she, she, when the Evans family came out in mid October, they actually watched, uh, the, uh, them play Wisconsin and, uh, the whole fellow family was there. Ani made, uh, Layla wear a Nebraska football sweatshirt that day too, just so that they were all going <laughs> to root for Nebraska against Wisconsin. So, uh, it's, it's cool to see Ani Evans, a player who did transfer away, still speak highly of her experience here too. That kind of gave, mm-hmm. uh, made Layla Blackwell really comfortable with that. I mean, and she's, like you said, she started her career at Indiana. Her first college matches were actually, uh, against Nebraska that COVID year, there were no fans uh, in the stands when they played in Indiana. But uh, so she she knows the familiar with the program and really got a good insight. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how that and that really sets up Nebraska well. Like you said, that competition, that room. I would not pencil mm-hmm. in this. Assume that Jackson and Alec are going to run run it back because Blackwell does have the talent to push them, and she could be a starter mm-hmm. uh, for that first match of the year. Yeah, I mean, with, with Ani Evans kind of putting in a good word for for Nebraska, I, I hope everyone out there understands with with the amount of portal movement that happens right now. Like players talk, players are going to talk to each other. A lot of them have relationships through club volleyball, or you know, Nebraska has been able to secure a lot of players that have Team USA experience, junior national team experience, and those relationships matter just as much as the recruiting pitch that a coach can make to a parent in the living room. A lot of this is done over social media. A lot of this is done through, you know, player relationships. And so that's why if you could avoid, I don't know, poisoning the well with players who leave your program, they can still be good advocates for you, maybe with somebody else at a new school. And so the relationship part of uh, coaches and players, even if you have a player who's leaving, 
is now you know, more important than ever. And, um, you know, Nebraska now has uh, one new player, a couple new players on their roster. Taylor Landfair, we mentioned, yeah. had transferred by the time we did our last show. Those relationships mattered as well. And she was very, very familiar with Nebraska, kind of knew as much about it as any recruit was going to be able to know and was familiar with a lot of the players who are now going to be her teammates. So, yeah. you know, recruiting has always been a relationship driven business. And, and that's more important than ever now. And. Blackwell, along with Taylor Landfair, they're both will get here in May. They're both are finishing up their degrees. Uh, so they won't, they'll be at, she has to enjoy her San Diego semester one more time. And she has a San Diego native too. So she's, um, enjoyed her time mm-hmm. playing in front of her home crowd, but she'll be here. Uh, I think they graduated. Beautiful from, campus, by yeah. the way. They graduated Have you never last been to the University of, of San Diego? It's gorgeous. Yeah. She got, she okay, so they, last week of May and then she'll be here in early June, same time as, uh, Taylor Landfair. So. All right. A couple of, other Huskers who were on Nebraska's or a couple other former Huskers now who are on Nebraska's roster last fall have new landing spots since we last recorded. Maggie Mendelson announced that she is going to go to Penn State and join Caroline Jervicious. So two Huskers or two players who were Huskers last year uh, now going to be Nittany Lions. The interesting thing I think about this too, Lincoln, Maggie Mendelson has announced that she's just going to focus on volleyball and forego basketball. She was a two sports star in high school in Utah. She was on both Nebraska's volleyball and basketball rosters here at Lincoln. She's acting on a basketball scholarship technically. And I think she's going to have two years of eligibility left um, yes. in, in Happy Valley. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, she played two years here. So even though she's still one of the youngest players uh, on the Nebraska roster, she has two years of college eligibility left. Because she was 17 when she came to Lincoln. Yeah, she, she uh, graduated high school right? in three years. Correct. It would be interesting. Penn State also picked up a player we mentioned at the last uh, last podcast, Jordan Hopp, who previously played at Iowa State and is an Alliance Nebraska graduate. Uh, another middle blocker going there, going to Penn State as well, too. So it would be interesting there. All of a sudden, their middle blocker room is uh, a little bit full. I mean, they got uh, Mendelssohn mm-hmm. and uh, Jordan Hopp, and they had two other returners in middle blockers. They do have four middle blockers. So we'll see how that all shakes out. And one other player who has announced their intention to leave the program this spring is outside hitter Allie Batenhorst. Batenhorst started uh, the second at outside hitter. It was Nebraska's L2 the second half of the season after Lindsey Krause injured her ankle. Uh, Allie Batenhorst is from uh, the Houston, Texas area. She has a sister that plays at SMU. Nebraska was actually scheduled a match for the 2024 season to go play SMU um, so that Ali Batenhorst could play a match in her home state. Now she has announced that she is going to be leaving uh, once she finishes her degree in May, has not, at least as of this recording, announced where she is going to land. I think a lot of people um, think that she's either going to land somewhere in Texas or somewhere out on the West Coast. We've heard some USC or UCLA rumblings. Uh, not sure if, if that, uh, if, if having a strong beach program also impacts uh, where she might want to go. USC is an excellent beach volleyball program. So keep an eye on that. Probably by the time that uh, we record our next show, that that announcement might be made. But Nebraska now is going to be down to, um, let's see, how many outside hitters is that with Landfair, Skylar Pierce, uh, Harper Murray, and uh, Lindsey Krause. So that's four outsides. And, and one of them is probably, or maybe multiple of them, are probably going to at least have to train a little bit on the right because Nebraska doesn't have a clear backup to Merritt Beeson right now for 2024. Yeah. And to go back to Allie Batenhorst, yeah, I think Beach is going to play a long, uh, take, take play a large part in her. In USC, UCLA are two of the preeminent uh, volleyball programs. TCU also is a good one to keep an eye on, maybe Fort Worth, get her in Texas. 
But uh, from what I mm-hmm. what I understand too, I mean, she, I mean, she, I think she sees her long term future in Beach. I mean, she has the profile of and physical characteristics and skill set to be a successful Beach player. So I think that will play in. Uh, and she just did this, this sometime this week. Uh, had a TikTok where she is likely going to play Beach this spring with Nebraska too. So even though um, she okay. is, is is leaving the school, I, everyone thought that oh she's done at Nebraska. Uh, Nebraska. They're down to, I think, nine players. They will have a couple more of their incoming freshmen, but they only have, uh, they'll have 11 players at most uh, on, their, on their beach program, too. So there's an opportunity for her to play and train if she's going to be here anyways um, and travel with the team and kind of get that opportunity as well, too. So uh, she still will be around Nebraska and probably will be playing uh, some beach volleyball for the Huskers during her last semester in Lincoln. I think during our last show, we, we said that, or at least I said that I expected there to be at least one more departure. Now that was before Allie Batenhorst announced her intention to leave. Uh, and so that is one more departure. You know, will there be any more movement after the spring? We don't know. Uh, there, you could see another player, if, especially if they graduate and they have their degree in hand that Hey, I want to start the next chapter of my life, or I want to start the next chapter of my volleyball career uh, somewhere else. So, you know, I guess if if it's one thing that we've learned over the last couple of years is the portal just never kind of stops. Yeah. And if you are, I mean, the portal is also kind of irrelevant um, if you have your degree. If you're a graduate transfer, you can transfer at any time um, to anyone without having to, you know, restrict your movement to a certain frame of time. So if, once you get that degree, which was what the sort of portal used to be restricted to, once you graduate from your current school, you can go anywhere you want as long as you have yeah. eligibility. And I think there's going to be another player or two on Nebraska who is going to earn their degree this spring. And if they so choose, could leave to go somewhere else. And whether or not that happens, I don't know. And I don't know if, if the Nebraska coaching staff knows right now. Yeah, I know. I know we talked about Lindsey Krause, who will be getting her graduate degree. She was up in Omaha, saw her at the Supernovas match. So I, I think that I mean, she may be one of those people, but I think she Lindsey will be back. Um, Kennedy Orr is probably going to get her degree. She's been here. Uh, will, will, will be three and a half years, too. Um, all indications she'll be back, too. I mean, if she's content playing that backup setter role, we'll see. But there are opportunities. I think graduate transfers has to have to be in by May 1st or declare their uh, intention to transfer by May 1st. And then uh, May 1st to May 15th is when the transfer portal opens up to everyone. So that's the next opportunity we'll see for a possible player movement. But again, once you're in the portal, you're in it until you declare, take yourself out. So people are still finding schools that entered it after this first semester, even though the portal is now closed for entry, you're still in it until you declare that you're going back to your school or you find a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's move on to rotation for Lincoln. We've got some more this Nebraska odds and ends. Uh, friend of the show, Brent Wagner, great guy who writes for, I guess, I, I struggle to just say he writes for the Journal Star anymore because the Journal, Journal Star and the World Herald's staffs are so intertwined, and as we well know. Uh, so uh, Lee, Lee Enterprises writer Brent Wagner uh, had a notes collection the other day uh, that you can find where he talked to John Cook and, and Brent always provides great information. Um, what I thought was interesting from this is it, this, the way that John Cook mentioned, you know, how they thought they had to go get another outside hitter because they had a couple leaving, um, tells me that the coaching staff at Nebraska knew that, you know, before the end of the season that they were probably going to have 
a couple of open roster spots. This is the quote that, that John Cook had in this odds and ends column. He said, we thought long and hard about it. If nobody left, we wouldn't have recruited her, her meaning Taylor Lanfair. But we had three outside hitters leave, so we had to do something, uh, end quote. So, yeah, that, the three outside hitters that Nebraska had left were, were let's see, Caroline Jurevicius and Alec Batenhorst. I don't know if he's counting Whitney Longstein in that. Hayden Kubik. Uh, because she had landed at Texas. Hayden Kubik, of course, who's going to Tennessee um, for next year. And so, you know, I think the, they knew that they were probably going to have some departures and were able to, I don't know, I say get on the phone colloquially. Don't know if this was done through through, through social or whatever. But that's part of the reason why Nebraska was out there um, recruiting pin hitters in the transfer portal. Yeah, and I think I think you have the connection there too with Lexi Rodriguez knows. Uh, again, you talked about earlier the connections there everywhere. Lexi Rodriguez played with Taylor Lanfair too, and to me, I, th- I think the Ali Batenhorst thing was that was kind of in the works too. If you're going to go somewhere and get your MBA, um, it's not something you decide once the semester's over. You need to get your um, college applications mm-hmm. for master's programs, and I think. Um, even even if they wouldn't have add Taylor Landfair too, I don't know. Ali uh, was thinking long term, like I said, and thinking about a possible beach career. And if you want to get some serious beach time in uh, Nebraska, even though it has a beach program, um, is maybe not the best place to receive uh, that uh, that experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, Nebraska is very upfront and has been since they started the beach program. Like what their priorities with it are, uh, at, and most other schools that have solid beach programs, it's a run as a separate program. You have separate scholarships. You have athletes who only train year round to play beach ball, beach volleyball. And Nebraska doesn't do that. They take their indoor team on their indoor scholarships and they use it to develop skills and develop relationships and get to go to warm places like Hawaii and Southern California in February and March as almost like a reward for, um, for the indoor play. But Nebraska does not prioritize beach volleyball in the same way that you know, the Southern California schools or the Florida schools really do. And I don't know if that's going to change someday. Um, but, you know, until they get some more opponents that are nearby, I think, then it doesn't make a lot of sense for okay. them uh, to do that. They got the future Big Ten what? mates, U- USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. They all got decent beach programs, too. It's, they, can yeah. get a, they can get it. They're just one short of a uh, Big Ten tournament. We, you know, I don't know how much you're, you're serious about that. I think it Not is really. actually going to be interesting when you bring the West coast schools into the big 10 that can lead to some new opportunities. And maybe it does, you know, lead to Wisconsin having a water polo program and going to compete with some of the West coast schools or, you know, you don't know how this is with the ripple effects of of this are going to be five or 10 years down the road. But, um, I don't think Nebraska is going to be jumping right out and, and taking beach volleyball, um, Treating it differently than they currently treat it. Maybe yeah. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but speaking um, of UCLA and USC, uh, there was another note in Brent's article, too, that uh, John Cook wanted to play a spring match in Las Vegas against their new kind of Big Ten compatriots and kind of do a big welcome kickoff, too. And, um, and they're going to join the Big Ten, kind of get some hype around to get the ex- people excited for it. However, the NCAA said no. There is some regulations and place uh, during the spring where you can only travel by bus during your non-championship segment. So that's why Nebraska plays the Wichita States, the Colorado States, the South Dakota, I mean, the local Midwest schools. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they they did they tried to do a waiver with the NCAA and they said, no, this isn't good enough reason. So um, that's not going to happen too. We'll see if it manifests in something in the fall. Yeah. 
or not, but probably, I mean, they'll, they'll play him in the conference schedule possibly. So um, this was kind of one chance to kind of welcome them into the league, get people excited about it, play a match in Vegas and make it a spectacle like Nebraska is good at doing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the the article mentioned that Nebraska is probably going to do this spring what they usually do with a with an indoor exhibition, which is play somewhere in state. And and Nebraska's tried to get creative with with how they do that. I know we've seen them play the spring exhibition anywhere from Wayne, Harney, Grand Island, McCook last year, or no, McCook has happened in the past. Central City last year. I don't remember the last time they've gone out to like Scotts Bluff, but I think they've done it. They played in Ogallala before, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a Nebraska uses it as an opportunity to take the program to different parts of the state where people might not have the opportunity to see them and, and come to Lincoln very much, which I think is really noble. But you could totally go the other way with this if you wanted to. And, and the Vegas dream sort of illustrates that is you could turn this into a big time exhibition and generate excitement for college volleyball in the off season at a time where, and I, and I think the NCAA would be wise to reconsider this um, if they could find a number of schools that wanted to do it, because you could play like a big four team tournament. You could play, you know, Texas, Stanford, Nebraska, and Louisville. You could move that to a neutral site and play it in April. And it doesn't count toward your, um, toward your regular season record. It's just kind of a spectacle. And so it kind of got me to thinking, if, if this busing thing is is really the limitation, and Nebraska didn't want to drive, you know, 15 or I forget how long it takes to drive to Vegas from here, but it takes like a day, a full day, maybe two days. I've done it before, um, but I don't remember how long it took because we stopped in the middle. But like, what are some destinations that Nebraska could go play that's within four or five hours? You know, you yeah. could t- you could go down to Kansas City. And you could play an exhibition against Kansas or Kansas State or Missouri in April yeah. if you could find the right venue. And, and Nebraska fans would absolutely travel to that. And so I don't think drawing attendance needs to be a consideration if you stay within three or five hours of Lincoln because people would go to it and you could draw a great crowd and generate some real excitement for the sport. Yeah, get the uh, old Big 8 crew back together, get in Missouri, get Kansas, get, get a little uh, invitational down there uh, in Kansas City or go out to Denver, play Colorado there, too. I mean, that's, that's a little mm-hmm. bit of a seven-hour trip or go up to Minneapolis, see if you can get some uh, Dakota schools there, or Iowa State over in Des Moines. I think there's a lot of opportunity for that, too. But, I mean, Nebraska really uses this as a way to give back to the state and get fans who don't have an opportunity to come to Devaney uh, and and see that and it's I mean it's almost like a mini trip I mean there are rock stars out there there's celebrities they make a whole event the, mm-hmm. the small the way the small towns do it um, is really kind of fun and unique and uh, it's an exciting part of the program but if Nebraska can play up to four spring matches too so they can still play uh, a small town city match if they want to but also get some big exhibition matches they've just chosen mm-hmm. to only play one and focus on that yeah. Once upon a time, Omaha hosted the Big Eight volleyball tournament. You could do something like that yeah. at CHI Health Center. You could have, and it doesn't have to be old Big Eight schools, but just pick three other teams that would be interested. Have Creighton be involved. I think that would be a great opportunity for Creighton too, and just play a round robin. Yeah, and you could play two matches in a day, get your depth going. You know, develop your depth a little bit. I think it it would it would make money. It would generate excitement. You could get it televised and it would be a great opportunity. 
or do something with these professional leagues. Last year, the Athletes Unlimited, they went on a tour and they played a bunch of other schools. They didn't play Nebraska because it didn't work out, but they, I'm pretty sure they played at Penn State and I think they played in Wisconsin. Uh, but Steve, you, I mean, it's probably too late now, but, um, there can be a professional team next year talking about in Kansas City too or in Omaha or kind of see if you mm-hmm. can get, get them together and, um, uh, have a joint event. I don't know. I mean, anything to get people in the door too. I think so. There's a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. for people to think creative and think marketing and growing the sport of the spring season. One of, some of the things that we learned from this article, uh, the 2024 schedule is taking shape, but it hasn't been released yet and probably won't be for some time. But we know Nebraska is going to host Creighton and Stanford in the non-conference this fall. They're also going to travel to Louisville and SMU, like we talked about a little while ago. And so there's um, there's four pieces of the puzzle right now. Plus, you know, that Big Ten schedule is going to be a murderer's row with some great players or great teams coming to Lincoln. Yes, for sure. The other thing that that uh, Trevor Alberts, you know, a different uh, media outlet, uh, said on the radio that uh, they've looked at opportunities to play matches at, at the Pinnacle Bank Arena. Uh, he said that on Wednesday night, too. Um, so maybe there's some opportunity to get uh, playing a little bit bigger venue. I know John Cook's always been hesitant to do that because they like playing at the Vanity Center. That's our home. But uh, if it's during non-con, maybe you get one or two matches out there, really make them, again, marquee non-conference matches and, and mm-hmm. uh, make, make it an event. Yeah, let me ask you a question here, Lincoln. And this take, kind of takes us back to our roots. We've been thinking really big about mm-hmm. exhibition stuff or about you know venues. What if instead we thought smaller? Mm-hmm. How cool would it be if they played a match back in a coliseum? Yeah. Yeah, take it back. We go to that 4,000 package to Gills. Uh, has they, have they upkept? I haven't been to the Coliseum. I guess they had the, with the rally there too. I've been in there, but, uh, I think they, they still have the bleachers. They, they the, could reconfigure, they could yeah. reconfigure those bleachers on the north side. I think everything else was fixed, yeah. um, and, and is still in place. So you could put that the was, floor in there, the Terraflex floor, I think. Um, I think that'd be super cool if they yeah. went back and they played a match a year in the Coliseum. And yeah, of course, half as many people are going to be able to get into it. But it was such a cool venue. And mm-hmm. it was one of the best home court advantages in volleyball. It's so loud in there. I think it would be awesome to, yeah. to go watch another match in the Coliseum. We are getting to the 50th season or 50th anniversary, whatever you want to celebrate, of kind of the first volleyball program. I mean, granted, they played in Mabel Lee. But uh, if you wanted to have a throwback, a historic <laughs> match, that would be... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The last time you were on campus, Lincoln, Mabel, Mabel Lee, Lee had been torn down. It is no more. Peace. Rest in peace, Maple Leaf. Yes. Yeah, we've been talking a lot of kind of dollars and cents here when it comes to thinking big about volleyball and, and exhibitions. What we did learn this week as we moved into Rotation 5, um, Nebraska released some of their um, financial numbers for the athletic department. Now, this is not from just this past year, 2023. It's going to take a little while for those numbers to come out. But we always talk about how Nebraska volleyball is one of the most financially successful programs in the country um, for the second year in a row. In the 2022 season, Nebraska volleyball actually turned a profit, not a giant profit, but they did. They were in the black where most um, women's sports programs are in the red across the country. Nebraska actually just eked over the profit line six thousand five hundred and seventy two dollars. They turned a profit in 2022. Are you about to correct me and tell no, me? No, tell me that I, was, I would say no, you're right. I mean, most I think Nebraska volleyball is the exception. They're the only ones that turn a profit too. Amy just did a great deep dive into looking at all power five. Okay. Uh, schools this past fall. Uh, Nebraska volleyball is the outlier. They're the only one that turns a profit. That changes year to year too, but uh, Nebraska's still turning a profit based on the 20. This is the 22 season. 
Uh, and just kind of add some mm-hmm. context to that too. You look back at the 2021 season. So this is fiscal year. It always ends with the 2021, 22, uh, yeah. academic year. The, which makes the university's fiscal year. year runs from July to June. So July 1 to June 30th. Yeah. So looking at the 21 season, Nebraska made about $230,000. They had revenues of 3.81 million that year and expenses were 3.58. So, Two hundred thirty thousand uh, dollars. That is just indoor. We've been talking a lot about beach today. Beach is not included in that. There's no revenue generated from beach because Nebraska does they, the home matches they do play are not open <laughs> to the public. Uh, but they only spent one hundred fifty six thousand dollars because that is that's mostly all travel. There's some other minor coaching. Mm-hmm. There's no scholarships in that. So even if you include beach in that twenty one season, uh, they still made a profit too. So. Um, Nebraska volleyball is still making money. The Devaney Center is the back is the, is the backbone of a lot of that. It drives a lot of that income because of donations. You have eight thousand people mm-hmm. that are selling out. Uh, even though John Cook is one of the higher paid uh, coaches' salaries, that's kind of where you get the difference between women's basketball and uh, volleyball. Mm-hmm. Is that there's a lot more salaries are in the millions and multiple millions of dollars for women's basketball, and that kind of pulls some teams over that profit versus loss yeah. line. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at a program that, that draws a ton, so, you know, UConn women's basketball, South Carolina, LSU, and Iowa are the teams that I think of. You know, they outdraw Nebraska volleyball and in theory would generate more ticket revenue. But then, you know, their coaches are all paid north of a million dollars and in some cases several million dollars. Yeah. So volleyball might get there someday. It is not there. The market is not there yet. But Lincoln, you're, uh, you're yeah. putting on your, uh, accounting visor and doing a little bit more of a deep dive into this. Yes. I've, I've talked to some coaches during the postseason and doing a couple more interviews here this next week. Uh, I have a story coming out about kind of just exactly that and the, uh, differences between what coaches are paid in volleyball versus other women's sports, specifically women's basketball, um, but also softball, soccer, things like that too. And kind of how financial support varies from sport to sport too. And what this wave that volleyball has been riding, how can they continue to do that as far as resource investment and continue to grow things too. So um, hopefully that'll be on volleyball mag soon. It's a busy time of the year for uh, work jobs, but uh, we'll get that out to you. I know people have been uh, wondering or I've been talking to people about that. And it's coming soon. It's coming soon. But speaking of coming soon, we got a big announcement of our own. That's right. Uh, we move into rotation six. Um, you know, you're not going to maybe notice as many of the changes as we are, but there's going to be a new look and a new field to volleyball state coming up in a fairly near future. We are going to be working with some people who are going to be helping us grow the show a little bit beyond the platforms that you are currently listening to it on. So, of course, Please stay subscribed. You're still going to get us through your phones, your computers, your Spotify's, your Apple podcasts. But we're also going to be dipping our toe into video, which I don't know how much that's going to enhance your volleyball state experience. Uh, I'm going to have to go out and buy some makeup, I guess, or mess with our lighting or backgrounds or whatever. But um, you're going to see a new look to the show. We're going to have new graphics. Um, our social media channels are going to look a little bit different. And you're going to be able to find the show on YouTube now. So we're really excited to bring these changes to you. We don't think it's going to really change um, very much about what the show is because you know we started this for a reason and we want to talk about volleyball in the ways that we want to talk about. But you're not only going to be able to see us, you're going to be able to see our guests if our guests are into that. And we're going to continue to to try to bring you the best volleyball content possible. And I think this step wouldn't have happened if we didn't see such great response to the show 
and the growth of listenership that, that you all uh, have made possible for us. So we hope as volleyball continues to have their moment and you know, skyrockets in growth here in this country, you know, we hope that we can continue to grow a little bit as well and continue to reach new listeners and, and bring you all the great volleyball content that I think you, you look to us for. Yeah, we really appreciate you listening. Now, it's kind of fun up at the Supernovas game. Ran to a couple of people who were listening to the uh, listen to the podcast. Appreciate all of that. It's always fun to realize that people, uh, I don't know if we're minor celebrities, but people appreciate the work that we do. And we, we're very thankful for that and very grateful for that opportunity. So uh, you by listening to this, again, we you're a big part of what we're able to do. And so continue to rate us, continue to subscribe. Um, continue to recommend to your friends too. I mean, help grow this community. We tell everyone that uh, I make all my family download this on their uh, Spotify and their Apple podcast, get those double listens. Um, so if you know any volleyball people, doesn't matter their age or interest level too, we will, uh, we'll gladly welcome them into the family and help us grow our community. And, uh, if we continue to grow, it allows us to do more, more things and, make this bigger and better too. So thanks for being part of this community. And just so you you kind of know what to expect from us uh, during the, we'll call it the college off season this spring. And we're still looking at maybe doing shows every couple of weeks or, or maybe once a month, unless there is some sort of big breaking news item that uh, compels us to, to get together and, and talk for an hour about volleyball. But then once August rolls around, man, we're going to be hitting it hard again with weekly shows. Um, you're going to get sick of hearing from us during the volleyball season. I think we did 22 shows from when we started in September through the end of the college season. So, you know, you're going to have weekly shows once again, starting in August. We're going to be covering college volleyball up and down. We've got Olympic stuff to talk about this spring and summer. We, of course, have Pro Volleyball Federation that we could talk about from time to time. And then it seems like Nebraska volleyball has just kind of evolved into a year round, year round conversation piece. Um, we're going to have the spring exhibition. We've got beach stuff. So if you're a Nebraska volleyball fan, don't worry. That stuff is never going away. We just want to be able to welcome uh, more people kind of into the conversation and expand what we can talk about. So that means more guests. That means more interesting topics. And of course, we want to talk hear about what you want to know about and what you want to hear us talk about. You can always email us at volleyballstate at gmail.com. You can hit us up on social at volleyballpod. You can find me on social at by Jeff Sheldon is my Twitter handle. And Lincoln, tell us again, like the 15 places that you are on the Internet. I am on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB, threads at Lincoln A underscore VB. Again, read all of my uh, Husker coverage at huskersillustrated.com. I'll have something coming out soon on Volleyball Mag, and uh, I'll publish some stuff on St- Substack if I got it coming out too. So I'll uh, follow me on Twitter. That's where I post all of my and, and, and uh, threads. That's where I post where you can find all of my articles. Uh, and again, thanks to Podcast House Media for hosting us. You can find this, all of our past episodes, and uh, this one on podcasthousemedia.com. But thanks again for listening and keep living in the volleyball state. <laughs>